0: Google has educated all of us to expect a great search experience. And they are our best uh, partners there, because they, that education of everyone is putting so much pressure on businesses to meet these new expectations. Uh, and that's our business. That's our market. Uh, companies that need to deliver a great search experience to their own users. Uh, Google, it's, even if search is definitely in their DNA, a B2B uh, search. That component is not really in their DNA, which is great for us because that creates kind of a void in the market because people still need all of that, and so which brings us more customers. So I'm very happy on both sides. Like, thank you, Google, for educating everyone, and thank you, Google, for creating that void so that it's even easier for us to acquire customers.
1: Welcome. Welcome to 14 minutes of SaaS, the show where you can listen to the stories and opinions of founders of the world's most remarkable SAS scale-ups. We're back in the Web Summit, and we're back with Nicola Desenjo, who we interviewed first in the second installment of 14 minutes of SaaS his company Algolia has raised a further 110 million USD since we had this conversation that you're about to hear bringing their total funding to 183 million. Google led this space but then they pretty much walked away from it, leaving a massive opportunity. Algolia is a global company with 350 employees, including over 180 in Paris and 110 in San Francisco. That's 130% growth in employees in just two years, 8,000 customers, and over 70 billion queries a month on their platform. We have my old friend uh, Nicola Desenye, here in the Web Summit in 2018, one year later. How are you doing, Nicola? I'm great, thank you, Stefan. Fantastic, great to have you in 14 minutes of SaaS. So, uh, it's been a pretty impressive year by all accounts. Can you tell me a little bit about how Algolia's gone?
0: Oh, Algolia's been doing great. We've basically doubled the company you know, since last year, uh, close to 300 people now, so growing pretty fast these new products, new customers, a lot of good things. Now you gave a
1: very interesting talk. I introed you to the stage in SaaS Monster again this year, and you talked about the rise of the developer, how the developers are making a lot of the decisions these days, and the engineers are so involved, and that the engineer or the developer's experience is possibly the key one influencing the customer
0: experience. Could you take us a little deeper into that and tell us about yeah. what you talked about? Uh, You know, developers for me are the new heroes, in a way, even in uh, the enterprise context. uh, Ten years ago, they didn't really have a say uh, about what technologies they were going to use. Today, if they are not the decision-maker, at the very least, they have a lot of influence. For a company like us, uh, as we are going up-market, having that awareness and trust in the developer community is critical for our success, even in enterprise. A developer who is uh, working at a startup today could work at Walmart tomorrow. Uh, having them, uh, having them knowing us, trusting us, and basically championing us in uh, these uh, enterprise accounts is an incredible advantage compared to more legacy software, legacy companies that are relying more on a purely top-down approach. And um, you know, taking that into consideration. Um, w-
1: one of the great examples, uh, I'll be interviewing Mike Mullinette later today, co-founder of Branch, and I, I did Matt mm-hmm. last year. Um, you know, they have a fantastic uh, uh, built-out community where they have meets all over the world. Um, okay, Sometimes it's marketing people, but a lot of the time it's devs, depending on the, if they're in India, it's mostly devs that go to those meetups. and um, It's been a huge source of, I suppose, brand awareness and business. For, for them, they're getting into companies of all sizes via the developer mm-hmm. community. Um, has Algolia got plans to uh, maybe build uh, build a global kind of set of meetups to kind
0: of build that
1: developer community in, in a person to person way?
0: Uh, so, we don't have, uh, so today we are like uh, having our own meetups, events, uh, but mostly in the countries, in the cities where we have a presence. Uh, when we look at global globally, it's more about championing uh, supporting our community when they are going to do these meetups themselves. Uh, I don't think today, even if we are, uh, yes, 300 people, there is so many things to do. I would prefer to leverage the existing community rather than do everything by ourselves. We simply don't have the energy or like the resource to do everything by ourselves. Uh, and that's more like the, the, the face-to-face events kind of side of things. But another thing that works very well for us is actually purely online. Um, you know, our goal is really to get visible where developers are spending their time. One of these uh, places is uh, documentations of the frameworks they are using. So one of the things we do there is we're going to help, we call that doc search. we're going to help all these frameworks, mostly open source frameworks, uh, by providing search in their documentation for free. Which means that developers, as they are going to see us again and again, experience the interaction with the service again and again in this area, in all these frameworks, uh, that help us to bring a lot, of, a lot more awareness than what we could get from purely face-to-face meetups.
1: So, in a sense, it's, it's product-driven marketing, uh, you know, where you're, you're, you're building
0: virality. Exact. amongst the developer yeah. community globally. Exactly, variety is like uh, difficult to define here in that context, <laughs> Yes, we, d- we also do have um, candidates, you know, engineering candidates that discovered us this way. Ah. So it's not purely, I mean, it's not really the gen. For us, developers is more our uh, community, but also our long-term that uh, Developers are, again and again, the decision makers everywhere. Uh, But when we look at revenue, revenue is coming from enterprise, from the up market, and developers are our champions there, but they are not uh, the decision, like they are not the buyers, it's more around the the product function in our case, Uh, and so it's kind of like, you know, going both bottom up but also top down and having like meeting the middle. Uh, and that's where we're, we're successful in. now. I'm, ne- I'm nearly uh, Afraid to quote anything else
1: that I got from this March 2018 article from The Economist Which is completely out of date, but uh, they quoted 41 billion searches a month um, I mean we were talking about it and you know, you're, you're, you see that as a vanity metric um, but that's a phenomenal Amount of traffic is, you know, has that been a challenge for you to be to be scaling to those sort of numbers?
0: Um, yes and no. Uh, it's a challenge because scaling is a challenge. Uh, but the the search, number of searches, even if it's impressive, uh, you know, it's just uh, just about scaling. The technology was designed for that, so it's never been a, a blocking factor. like The volume of searches that we would receive. Um, so I would say, at the end of the day, no, it was not such a challenging thing to grow that pace, at that pace. But what I like there is that it's a number that people can relate to, like when you say we, we power more than 1 billion, like between maybe 2 billion now, I don't even know, uh, searches a day. Uh, people get that kind of massive, that's a massive volume uh, indeed, but it's spread out across all our infrastructure, all around the world, so it's not like it was one customer. Today we have six thousand plus customers uh, in production that are using us every day, uh, and so of course, like all of that, brings a lot of queries. Now, of course, one of the reasons we're chatting because we're we're into SaaS is that your <laughs> your revenue
1: model is very much a SaaS revenue mm-hmm. model, an enterprise one. Um, uh, the guys that kind of set the bar for everybody and 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 uh, have succeeded in. Uh, Kind of a mission to make humans impatient, I think. Uh, Google, um, they, you were telling me, have moved completely, but they're advertising primarily always anyway, yeah. but they've moved completely out of the business. Um, did Algolia scare them off?
0: <laughs> I, l- I love that, but no, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think anyone is going to scare Google away, <laughs> at least um, not startups. <laughs> um, no, um, yeah, like maybe. To wait to, to look at things, I think the first thing you said is really true. Google has educated all of us to expect a great search experience, and they are our best uh, partners there because they, that education of everyone is putting so much pressure on businesses to meet these new expectations. Uh, and that's our business, that's our market. Uh, companies that need to deliver a great search experience to their own users. Uh, Google, it's, even if it's search is definitely in their DNA, a B2B uh, search, that component is not really in their DNA. Um, they had a, a few offers there, like uh, the GSA, Google Search Plans, uh, that they discontinued. There are the Google Site Search that they discontinued too, um, which is great for us because that creates kind of a void in the market because people still need all of that and so which brings us more customers. So I'm very happy on both sides, like thank you Google for educating everyone, and thank you Google for uh, leaving, uh, I wouldn't say leaving the market completely, but uh, creating that void, so that it's even easier for us to acquire customers. So you're not starting a fight with Google then? No, you're still admiring them. Yeah, we're not fighting with Google. <laughs> no, no, too. No, no, Google is a is a great company. Uh, <laughs> of course, it's just that we're not uh, looking at the same market and not positioned the same way. One of the great things about Algolia really is you set a
1: great example for French companies. And even though you're registered in San Francisco, Paris is where the bigger the bigger team is. Yeah, and it's definitely a company that grew out of Paris. Um, it's still a problem for European uh, companies in general. And of course, France and Paris in particular have attracted a huge amount of VC relative to the rest of Europe. They've, they've, they've overperformed in the last couple of years, but they still kind of have that scaling problem uh, of you know, not moving fast enough, maybe not getting into the, the bigger rounds early enough. Um, is that improving? And what's your feeling about the scene over there?
0: It's definitely improving. Maybe uh, maybe not to correct you, but a little, uh, the way sure. we see ourselves Please is really a global company. Okay. Uh, We are headquartered in San Francisco indeed Um, And we we indeed have more people in Paris uh, because that's where all our engineering is based Uh, But we've never seen ourselves as French and we've never seen ourselves as Americans Uh, We really want to build a global company. I mean today uh, Does it really matter where we're working from? And that leads me to the answer to the other question. Actually, we don't lack Course, investors in Paris. The thing is that we may not have that many of them that are French, and that's completely okay. The the growth uh, stage, um, uh, I mean, the growth stage. The basically, the money has become global. Investment has become global, and it's very common to have American investors investing in French companies at the growth stage, even earlier stage. But growth stage is like more where it happens. And, and that money is available. You okay. could always complain that yes, it would be better to have local investors, and they are coming. Like we see, like new growth funds being created uh, last year, this year. Um, but still, uh, as a global company, I don't mind. Uh, I want the best investor. I don't want a French one. I want the best worldwide. So, completely agree with the, with the with the attitude towards. Uh, Towards a global business,
1: uh, couldn't agree more. I'm wondering, are we going to disrupt that on-premise people model? We've disrupted already the on. We don't need servers in our office anymore, so why why do we need people there? Uh, number one and number two, um, could you see yourself ever, uh,
0: you know, building up a significant number of remote, fully remote employees? Um, I think it's a question also of go-to-market. Uh, as we are going more enterprise, um, you don't sell the same way to enterprise and you sell to the long tail of developers. The long tail of developers, you don't need to be uh, on-premise, I mean on-premise, like, not in the cloud, but like people (laughs) on-premise. I like (laughs) the way you use that word. Um, You don't need to be uh, in the field uh, for for these people. Still, you need to have uh, support in the right time zone. Uh, people today expect uh, very responsive support which means that if you have a developer in Japan using you they're going to expect support in opening hours in Japan and if you don't have anyone in uh, a pack or in that time zone it's not going to be possible to deliver that Um, but if we move towards more enterprise and especially in some of these markets Japanese enterprises are never going to buy from uh, US based, a, like I can't exec, I mean never, never say never, but they are going to not, it's going to be very difficult to create that trust, Japanese enterprises they buy in Japanese in Japan. So if you want to explore that market you need to have people on the ground, and it's true, uh, more or less true everywhere, depending on the market it's not as true, like Australia, it's a little easier to do that from abroad, but still, having people on the ground is going to make you whole way faster in the market. Uh, and the remote aspect. Uh, so today we have, uh, I don't know, like a handful, like five, ten, 10 people that are fully remote. Uh, mostly um, uh, developer advocates. It makes sense to have them uh, Also everywhere uh, support. We're starting to build a remote support team. Uh, that's also makes a bit sense. And then we have like a few others, but. Uh, I really think it depends on the culture of the company. Some companies have done great there and I'm deeply respectful about their success. If you look at InVision, for example, who is fully Remote, it's very impressive. Automatic and yeah. Exactly, yeah. Um, In our case, we really put a lot of emphasis on the culture of the company. um, And not saying that they don't, but that's part of the thing that is so much easier to do when you are in person, when you are creating, you create a lot of collaboration is easier, I would say, in person. Still, we have five offices already, uh, so it's already feels that w- we feel the, the the strain of the communication aspect, so we need to constantly over-communicate. Uh, the time zone is actually often a stronger pain point than the pure remote aspect. If you are on the same time zone, even if you are remote, it's easier to collaborate than if you are nine hours time different. So you need to, yeah, Make sure that you get as much FaceTime and call, video calls as you can in the white right hours. Um, but all these challenges are definitely there and definitely big. But you, like technology helps you to cope with that. You get you create habits. You create like you wake up earlier <laughs> in, in SF, later in in Paris. Uh, just make sure that you have the video FaceTime uh, with people, and, and you can build that. And the advantage is that you get access to so much more talents everywhere. And the company is global. The market is global. It's very important to have that diversity of talents. Great talking to you. It was great to talk to you too. Thank you.
1: In the next episode, we'll have Mike Mullinet, COO and co-founder of branch.io. You may remember that we interviewed Mada Seghete, another co-founder in the very first episode of the series. So this is the second branch co-founder that we'll be interviewing. You've been listening to 14 Minutes of SaaS. Thanks to Mike Quill for his creativity and problem-solving skills, and to Ketsu for the music. This episode was brought to you by me, Stephen Cummins. If you enjoyed the podcast, please don't forget to share it with your network Subscribe to the series and give the show a rating.